The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Why do the nations rage? That is the question that David asks in Psalm 2. He asks why God's anointed, why his chosen one, why his people should be so persecuted? Why should the nations, should the kings rise up against them? Why would they do that? Why would they despise God and those whom he has called? There's an answer to that question which comes in our gospel, uh, in the gospel, especially in the gospel of Mark. Jesus talks about what he has come to do in the world. You've heard this before, but he says that he has come into the world to bind up a strong man. He tells a parable. Jesus says, no one goes into a strong man's house to plunder his goods, to steal everything that he's got. Nobody goes into that man's house without first tying up that strong man. If you want to steal from that strong man, if you want to plunder his house, you first have to bind him so that he can't prevent you. It's kind of a puzzling parable, but it tells us what Jesus is doing in this world. This world, which is under the sway of Satan, that sits in darkness and in the shadow of death, Jesus has come to plunder this world, this house, come to plunder it and steal back what has been stolen from him, his creatures, you, his beloved children. But in order for him to do that, first he must bind the strong man, the strong man who reigns over this house, who is holding on to his possessions so dearly. One of the things that Jesus doesn't indicate in that parable, but which must be true, is that as that strong man, as Satan is bound, he puts up a fight. 
he thrashes and tears about. He does everything in his power to avoid being bound. And even as he is bound, he thrashes about, causing all kinds of damage and destruction along the way. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? It's because they are driven by the wickedness of the devil. The devil who is being bound, who is being brought to nothing by Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, it is because of that. It is because the devil does not want to be bound. It is because the devil wants to retain his power. And the people that he has driven in this world to exercise power, to seize power and use it for evil, those same people thrash and rage just like the devil does. There are a string of stories in the Bible that show us just what this looks like. It doesn't start just in Bethlehem with Herod coming and killing all of the boys under two years old in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. This kind of thrashing and raging against the Lord and against his anointed has been going on from the beginning. If you were to pick up just after our Old Testament lesson where Jacob is going to Egypt to meet his son Joseph, whom he thought had been lost forever, if you pick up at that point in the story, you can see another instance of this thrashing and raging. For Jacob takes his whole family, 70 souls, to Egypt, and there they are favored. There they prosper and grow and multiply because God blessed them. But time passed, and the Pharaoh who had shown them favor died, and the memory of Joseph and what he had done for the land, saving them from famine, was forgotten. And a new Pharaoh arose, a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph, a Pharaoh who was wicked and wanted to hold on to power. And he looked at the people of Israel, the Hebrews, and he saw them and he said, they are growing too powerful. They're growing too strong. There are too many of them. And indeed, there were many, many of them. By that time, there were 600,000 of them, just counting the men. They had become a great nation within the land of Egypt. And that Pharaoh said, look, if one of our enemies comes and attacks us, what will stop the Hebrews from joining in with our enemies and conquering our land? So he began to thrash and rage, that Pharaoh did. He set a policy. He said, all of the baby boys born to those Hebrews must be killed. And he instructed the midwives, if a baby was born, a boy, to those Hebrews, she must kill that baby boy. The midwives of the Hebrews were faithful and they wouldn't do it. So Pharaoh thrashed and raged some more and said, any baby boy born must be tossed into the river, every last one of them. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? There's another story that indicates just this very same kind of thrashing and raging against the Lord and against his anointed. You remember the story of David, a lowly shepherd, the least of the sons of Jesse. King Saul was ruling over the land of Israel. He had been God's anointed, but he had fallen away. In pride, he followed whatever was in his own heart, and his heart became hardened. And so God anointed David to be king in his place. David was lowly and humble, and it was not yet time for him to take the throne, but he was mighty. And he did great deeds, including the story that you know so well, killing Goliath. That's a marvelous story of God's salvation for his people, saving his people by the faith of a lowly shepherd. But how did things go for Saul? Perhaps you remember how this went. When the people saw what he had done, what David had done in killing Goliath, they sang this song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David... David has slain his tens of thousands. And Saul, in jealousy, in fits of rage, 
tried to kill David. Time and again, he pursued David. He spent all of his effort, effort which should have been spent on uh, helping his nation in fighting battles against his enemies. All of his time, all of his effort was spent in pursuing David, the Lord's anointed, trying to kill him. Why do the peoples, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot together against the Lord and against his anointed? It is because all along, starting with Jacob and before him, Abraham, before him to the seed of the woman, all the way back then, God was planning, was working salvation for you and for me, which includes, which involves binding up the devil, bringing his power to nothing. And so at every step along the way, through Jacob and through the people of Israel, through Moses, through David, all along the line, God is working for salvation and the, the devil and the wicked of this world, the wicked kings and powerful people in this world are thrashing and raging against him, trying to stop him, trying to prevent him. That's where we pick up the story in today's gospel lesson, as Herod, a truly wicked man, Herod the Great, who killed his own son because he was afraid that his son would take his throne, who killed his own wife because he thought that she was plotting against him. Here he, on this day, goes into Bethlehem and kills all of those innocent babies, all of those innocent children, thrashing and raging, trying to destroy the Lord trying to destroy the Lord's anointed, trying to bring this plan to nothing, trying to stop God, trying to stop Jesus from binding the strong man. It's a story that again continues on in the gospel. You know how this goes. Herod did not succeed in killing Jesus. He did not succeed in stopping that boy from growing up in wisdom and in stature before God and men. He did not stop him from performing miracles, from showing that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the one who had been sent to save the world, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Herod could not stop him. Neither could the scribes and the Pharisees as Jesus went about his work of healing and forgiving sins. But then there came a day when that thrashing and raging came, reached a fever pitch, that day as Pontius Pilate washed his hands of the matter, and the crowds cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Why do the nations rage, even his own nation, his own people? Why do they plot against the Lord and against his anointed? It is because the powers of evil in this world are strong and mighty, and they put up a fight as they are being bound. It seems on that day, it seems on that day that Satan won. As the crowds cried, crucify him, and Jesus breathed his last, it seemed that they had succeeded in bringing an end to the Lord and his anointed. It seemed that their rage had finally won out. But that is, of course, the great irony and our great hope in this entire story. It is that even though the nations rage and the devil thrashes about trying to prevent God from completing his salvation, even in the most vile and despicable acts that can be perpetrated, by the wicked in this world, even there, God's salvation is being wrought. Even there, as Jesus dies on the cross, bleeding, breathing his last, innocent, more innocent than all of those baby boys in Bethlehem, more innocent than anyone in this world, perfectly innocent, as he breathes his last and dies, there, the devil is completely undone. There, where the devil believes that he has finally won the battle, there, his final loss has been executed. There, God has his victory. There, as Psalm 2 goes on, the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. 
The Lord sits in the heavens and laughs. He holds them in derision. And he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, as for me, the Lord says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God will have his king. And though his throne is a cross, and though his crown is made of thorns, and though his victory is through sacrifice, he has accomplished what he set out to accomplish. He has won the victory for you and for me. The nations rage, and the peoples plot against the Lord and his anointed, but they cannot stop him, because his love is too great. His love for you and me is too great. That's the story up to that point, up to the point of the crucifixion. But it does not stop there. The raging of the nations and the thrashing of the devil does not stop there. Even as the church goes on, the devil still swings his tail about as he's bound, trying to knock down anyone he can. So the apostles find themselves, after Jesus has risen and ascended into heaven, they find themselves persecuted. Persecuted by the rulers of their nation, by the religious leaders of their time. They find themselves persecuted. And they are threatened and they are told they should stop preaching the gospel. They should stop living according to the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And they refuse. The apostles refuse, although the nations are raging and the peoples are plotting against them. They refuse because they know that everything that happened to Jesus will happen to them as well. That although they may die, although they may suffer, although this fiery trial may come upon them, they know that they will yet have the victory because Christ had the victory. As they are contemplating what to do, as they are threatened by the leaders, they gather together, the apostles do, and they say a prayer. They remember what David said in this psalm, that the nations rage and the peoples plot against the Lord and against his anointed, and they pray. They do not pray that they would not suffer. They do not pray that this fiery trial would not come upon them, but they pray instead that they would have courage, that they would have boldness, that they would be able to stand up under the face of this persecution, that they would put their confidence in God and not fear. Because although they die, even though they die, they give up their breath, even though that would happen to them, by faith, yet they would live. And so their prayer is not freedom from suffering. Their prayer is not that the devil would not strike them. Their prayer is that they would not succumb, that they would not give in to temptation, that they would be bold and strong. That is my prayer for you, and that should be your prayer for yourselves as well. The devil continues to thrash and rage. The nations rage. The peoples plot against the Lord and against his anointed. At times it is loud and violent, as it was at the time of Herod, killing all those baby boys in Bethlehem. At other times it is quiet and subtle, but no less dangerous. Let your prayer be boldness. Let your prayer be for courage in the face of temptation. Hold in mind everything that you have seen in Christmas and through Easter to see what is happening in the world so that you can know that you are not wrestling, as St. Paul says, you are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the cosmic forces of darkness, against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When you suffer... When you are afraid, when you are faced with temptation, you are not struggling against worldly things, but you are struggling against the devil himself. And so, take Paul's advice. He says, 
Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Take up the whole armor of God. Hear his word. Hold fast to his promises. Recognize that at every step of the way, throughout the whole story of the Bible and in every step of your life, there he is, with his anointed, with Jesus himself, giving you life and salvation. Nothing can hurt you if Christ is for you. There is this beautiful resolution to the wailing and lament of Rachel that we heard about in our gospel lesson. Matthew tells us that what happened in Bethlehem with all of those baby boys dying was to fulfill what was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Rachel weeping, Rachel, the wife of Jacob, Rachel weeping for her children, her children who are no more. But Jeremiah goes on in the very next verse, after he describes how Rachel cannot be comforted, how she will not receive any consolation, Jeremiah goes on and he says, Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your, your children shall come back to their own country. This is the beauty of the gospel that stands up against any threat that the world can level against it. There is nothing that anyone in this world can do to prevent God from delivering his love to you. The powers of this world, the nations that rage, the devil himself who thrashes, they're like nothing more than a, a schoolyard bully who is very proud and very strong and mighty when there's no teacher or no big brother or no dad around, but who cowers, who must just crumble and tremble in the face of the mighty one who has come to save. That is what we have seen this Christmas. That is what we see every year as we make our, our way through these seasons toward Easter, toward the cross, where the victory is won. That is what we see in the story of the Bible. Hold fast to all of that. Put on the whole armor of God and be strong and courageous. Pray for faith and you will stand, you will stand in the face of every temptation. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.